Let's open our Bibles to the book of Lamentations, found after the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. We're going to read chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people, and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. We read the word of God that far. The text that we consider this afternoon is verses 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Beloved congregation, I think you would agree that it's quite surprising to find such a beautiful and hopeful confession as our text in the midst of a book of such bitter lamentation. But I hope that you will also see in the sermon this afternoon that it is exactly when we understand the deep bitterness of the context of the text and the confession that it becomes even more beautiful and even more hopeful and even more precious to us, and particularly 
when we go through times of sorrow and lamentation, like the inspired poet who wrote this chapter. And that inspired poet was Jeremiah. Jeremiah had lived in dark days at the end of the kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah himself had been given revelations from God and had prophesied to Judah of the coming judgment. Jeremiah had made known to the Jews that they must repent of their sins and their wickedness and their rebellion against Jehovah because God is going to send Babylon to destroy them. Jeremiah not only made those prophecies, but God also gave to him to live through the fulfillment of his own prophecies. Jeremiah himself witnessed the coming of the Babylonians through King Nebuchadnezzar and his captain Nebuzaradan, who finally overthrew the city of Jerusalem, bashed down the walls, destroyed the palaces and the buildings, burned the temple of God to the ground, killed, murdered, raped, pillaged, and carried the Jews away into captivity. Jeremiah watched as his beloved city went up in ashes and burned to the ground. But it was then, in the midst of the smoking rubble of the city, that Jeremiah sat down and wrote these bitter poems of lamentation. In chapter 1 of the book, he begins with these words, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? Verse 2, She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Verse 3, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. Verse 4, the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feasts. Verse 8, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. But as the prophet Jeremiah wrote these bitter lamentations, looking at the now ruined city of Jerusalem, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit not only to express the sorrows and sufferings that the people of God experience throughout history, but also he was inspired to write concerning the man of sorrows who was yet to come. The man of sorrows who would suffer much greater things than Jeremiah did. As, for example, in chapter 1, verse 12, he writes concerning himself, but prophetically concerning Christ, Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. And in chapter 3, verse 1, that we read, I am the man that hath seen affliction, by the rod of his wrath. And as Jeremiah wrote prophetically concerning Christ crucified, that Christ must needs suffer, not for his own, but for the sins of his people, Jeremiah was able suddenly to shift from bitter lamentation to joyous and hopeful confession in our text. As in verse 21, suddenly, as it were, he changes his tone and says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I call your attention to that verse this afternoon under the theme, Unfailing Mercies, Unfailing Mercies mercies. Let's notice, first of all, what the mercies of Jehovah are. In the second place, that they are unfailing and faithful. And thirdly, they are new every morning. Jeremiah confesses in our text 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. The mercies and compassions of Jehovah are his acts of compassion and love toward us, his people, in our sins, in our sufferings, in our sorrows, to forgive us, to heal us, and to comfort us. It is of those mercies that we are not consumed, he says. But there were those who were consumed. There were many who were consumed. And Jeremiah himself saw with his own eyes the consuming of hundreds, maybe thousands, of his fellow countrymen as the Babylonians came into the city, as they lit fire to buildings, as they took the sword to men, women, and children, cutting them down in the street, as they chained them up and carried them away into Babylon, Jeremiah saw the whole city, as it were, consumed, burned, destroyed, brought down to the ground. And in this, Jeremiah saw the fulfillment of his own prophecies. He saw the just judgment of God. He saw, and he confessed too in this same book, that the Lord is righteous. The Lord is just. The Lord is not mocked. The Lord does not tolerate sin and wickedness. But the Lord warns and calls to repentance. But those who refuse the call to repentance, those who reject it, those who despise it, and those who stubbornly, obstinately continue in their sins of idolatry and wickedness and all the abominations of the heathen that go along with that idolatry will perish. They will be consumed. Remember that Jeremiah prophesied in the last days of the kingdom of Judah. Many prophets had come before him, and he was at the end of that line of prophets who had prophesied to the people again and again, turn, turn from your sins. Turn from your idols. Don't worship those idols. Don't commit that sexual immorality. Don't steal and kill and murder. Don't mistreat the widows and the orphans as you do. Give just judgment. But they refused to listen to the prophets, including Jeremiah himself. Stubbornly, they refused to repent of all their wickedness. And therefore, they were consumed. This happens repeatedly throughout history as well. There are always those who are consumed. I mean, there are always those in the outward church of God as it is in the world. Those who grew up in the church, those who were taught about God, just like the Jews, in the sphere of the covenant, who never really knew Jehovah as their God, who were only taught and who only learned intellectually about him, but never embraced him with a true and living faith, and who never repented of their sins. And as they grow up, they become hardened in their sin and their idolatry and rebellion, all the while pretending to be Christians. They are warned from the pulpit to repent of their sins. They are warned to put away their idols. They are warned to forsake their sins and to confess them and to turn to God for salvation and forgiveness but they stubbornly refuse and they are consumed because of their wickedness and unbelief and impenitence. It refers to the apostates. It refers to the hypocrites who are in the sphere of the church but who are not true believers. And this reality that takes place throughout history will culminate in the last days. Just as in the days of Jeremiah, Jerusalem really became Babylon. The wife of Jehovah really became the harlot, the whore. So also again in the last days, the church, who is supposed to be the bride of Christ, will become the whore of Babylon once again. And we see that happening 
in the world today. As we look around us at Christianity in Canada, in the United States, in Europe, denominations which once were faithful to the truth of the gospel, falling away one after another after another, we see the development of the anti-Christian kingdom. We see the rise of the beast and the rise of the harlot that rides on the back of the beast. That's the woman, that's Jerusalem, that eventually becomes the whore. And that whore will be consumed in the last days when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven on the clouds of glory. The scriptures teach us that he will consume the man of sin and his whole ungodly empire, including the false church, with the brightness of his appearing, the glory of his coming. And that's a warning to us as well, that we not harden our hearts by the deceitfulness of sin. As the writer to the Hebrews wrote to those early Christians, there is always the warning that comes to the church, the true church, of true believers. Harden not your hearts, lest ye be consumed, for our God is a consuming fire. God certainly is just and righteous, and Jeremiah saw that with his own eyes as he looked at the smoking rubble of the city before him. But it was there in the midst of the ruined city of Jerusalem that Jeremiah wrote the words of our text in the midst of his bitter lamentations. He wrote, This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It was there as Jeremiah was looking around him at the smoke and the destruction that he recalled to his mind what he had learned when he was a child. What had he learned when he was a child? Jeremiah had learned and he had to memorize the scriptures that taught him who God is that taught him about the character of God and the nature of God. He was no doubt required to memorize what was written in Exodus 34, where we find a revelation of who God is, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that fundamental truth revealed to Moses in Exodus was taught again and again through the scriptures. Jeremiah no doubt knew Psalm 103, where the psalmist also rejoices in that same marvelous truth, where we read, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, Neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. It's possible that Jeremiah even knew the writings of the prophet Joel, who probably lived before him. The prophet Joel repeats the same marvelous truth about the nature and character of God in Joel chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, rather Joel chapter 2, verse 13, in that context, Joel is one of the prophets calling the Israelites to repent. He says, Turn ye to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of a great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth 
if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him. Probably Jeremiah even knew the writing of Jonah the prophet. And if you recall, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, that great and wicked city, to preach repentance. Jonah was reluctant because Jonah did not want God to save the ungodly Gentiles. Jonah was narrow-minded and too internally focused. Jonah was not mission-minded as he ought to have been. He only cared that God would be merciful and gracious to Israel. But when he experienced near drowning in the ocean and being swallowed by the whale, finally he went to Nineveh and he preached. And God worked through the preaching of Jonah, the salvation of the Ninevites. And it was then that we read in Jonah 4 that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah knew that about God. And what Jonah had to learn was that God will be merciful to whom he will be merciful. And God will have compassion upon whom he will have compassion. We do not determine who are the elect and reprobate. But God determines that, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. And now Jeremiah stands in the midst of the rubble. In the midst of the ruined city. As he has observed the justice of God to destroy and consume the wicked. And he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. God is a merciful and gracious God. He is full of compassion and long-suffering. That is the very nature of God. He is not only righteous, but he is also merciful. Not only merciful, but also just. All of these attributes are one in his divine nature. And as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he dwells together in the perfect harmony of all his attributes. As the Father, he is a God and Father of tender compassion for his Son. Through the Holy Spirit. And the God of infinite mercy and compassion was pleased to reveal himself as such, to men. And to do that in the highest possible way that he could think. And that was by revealing himself as merciful and compassionate toward sinners. As merciful and compassionate toward men and women who have fallen by their own willful and stubborn wickedness into sin. Who have plunged themselves into their own corruption and depravity, and who now find themselves wallowing, as it were, in their own blood, having chosen death rather than life, who have brought upon themselves damnworthiness, hellworthiness, worthiness of eternal destruction, God was pleased to show his mercy and compassion towards such sinners like you and me. God reveals his mercy and compassion as his earnest desire and intention and purpose to save, to forgive, to deliver, to lift us up out of our sins and miseries and to crown us with loving kindness and blessedness of eternal life. That's the mercy and the compassion of God. His love toward miserable, wretched sinners like us to save and forgive. But the prophet not only speaks about the mercy and compassion of God, in fact, he does not use the singular in the text, but if you notice, he speaks of the plural, he speaks of the Lord's mercies. 
and the Lord's compassions. And when he puts it into the plural, we are to understand he is referring no longer merely to God's attributes and characteristics, but he is referring to his actions, his many actions of mercy and compassion. We are to understand from the text that God is not a God who merely gives the pretense of mercy and compassion, who merely pretends to be merciful and compassionate like some men and women in the world who try to pretend as if they are merciful, but they actually have no mercy at all. Nor is he the kind of God like some men who only has good intentions of mercy and compassion, but doesn't follow through with actions like James writes in chapter 2 of his epistle that Christian or that confessing Christian in the church who says he has faith but when he sees his brother in the church is hungry and thirsty and naked he merely says to him go and be filled eat and drink and be clothed but he doesn't give him those things needful for the body. But Jeremiah recalls to his mind that the Lord God is a God of real mercy and compassion, a God who acts, a God who moves, a God who is working to bless, to save, to forgive and deliver us, to actually bestow upon us the blessedness that we need to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. To lift us up out of our misery and the sins and the blood and the mud in which we wallow in our human depravity. To lift us up, to clean us, to wash us, to save us, to quicken us. What is the greatest act of mercy that God ever performed? It was an act that he would perform some 400 years, more than 400 years after Jeremiah wrote these words, in the sending of his only begotten son into the world. That's mercy and compassion. That God gave his only begotten son to lay down his life on the cross and to shed his own precious blood as a sacrifice for the sins of us wretched sinners to accomplish for us what we couldn't do, to accomplish for us forgiveness and redemption and salvation. Christ is the manifestation of the mercy and compassion of God. Christ and the cross of Christ is the great testimony in all of history that God is merciful and gracious towards sinners like us. Having sent his son into the world to accomplish salvation for us through the cross, he now sends forth the spirit of his son into the world. And in his rich mercy, the Holy Spirit quickens us together with Christ. That's the mercy and compassion of God. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, wallowing in the mire of our sins, he has connected to this living Christ and made us alive in Christ. And this is the mercy and compassion of God that he sends to us preachers of the glad tidings to declare to us what he has done in Christ, to declare to us his mercy and compassion towards sinners like us, to make known to us Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead as the hope of salvation and righteousness, that there's hope for us He sends the preachers of the gospel to call us to believe in this Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins to the living God. But he not only calls us to believe and calls us to repent and calls us to turn, the mercy and compassion of God is that he also works in us through that call so that we believe, so that we repent, so that we turn 
and come to Christ. So that by means of faith in Jesus Christ and in the way of sincere repentance, we experience that God is merciful and compassionate to me. Through the preaching of the gospel, through the word and spirit of Jesus Christ, he bestows upon us lavishly dose after dose of spiritual medicine and meal after meal of nourishing spiritual food and drink, correcting us, admonishing us, comforting us, encouraging us, healing us spiritually. That's the mercies and the compassion of God. And it's because of those mercies of the Lord that we are not consumed. The Lord will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Jeremiah knew that too. God is not merciful to all. God will consume in the fires of his wrath those who impenitently, stubbornly, wickedly reject the gospel and refuse to repent of their sins. And those who, knowing the revelation of God in creation, nevertheless refuse to obey and to serve him, and who are left without excuse, they will be consumed, whom God has ordained to eternal destruction. They will be consumed, whom God has set to be vessels of wrath, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 9. But we are not consumed. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Who are we who are not consumed? Are we better than they who are consumed? No, we are no better than they, no different than they. But we are, by the mercy and compassion of God, those whom he has ordained to be vessels of mercy. We are those who, because of the mercy and grace of God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from our sins in daily repentance, and seek to follow him in this life. We are not consumed. As Jeremiah looked at the destructed the destroyed city of Jerusalem. He said, we are not consumed. How could he say that we are not consumed when all was smoking and burned and destroyed in front of him? Because God still had his elect people there, as he always does. And that elect people of God who had now been carried away into Babylon as we sang earlier and who sat now by the rivers of Babylon, the Euphrates and the Tigris with their harp strings singing the sad songs of Zion as forced by their Babylonian captors. God still had his elect. He had not forsaken them. He went with them to Babylon. And all the ungodly were consumed, killed, destroyed. The elect, whom he loved, were not consumed. But he preserved them in Babylon. And finally brought them back to the promised land. And that's why we are able to read also in the book of Nehemiah. After the people of God returned from captivity, Ezra the priest was able to say these words in his great prayer in Nehemiah 9, verse 31. He says that even though God did send them into captivity, nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. 
so also we have not been consumed. Though in this past year, we as a congregation and denomination have suffered many trials and great turmoil, and perhaps at times have felt as though Zion is going up in flames, the city is on fire, burning to the ground. Sometimes the people of God feel as though all we have to do is write bitter lamentations. And the people of God do lament and mourn when they observe the church of God being torn and tattered, whether that is through apostasy or whether that is through schism or whether that is in any other manner when we observe the church of God torn and tattered and, as it were, burning with fire, and we mourn and lament, then we must remember it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Indeed, his compassions fail not. Oh, do we need to hear that about the unfailing compassions of God. Unfailing and faithful are his mercies. We need to hear that. We need to hear that preached to us with the authority of the ambassador of Jesus Christ because sometimes we, and I include myself, sometimes we feel as though his compassions fail. Sometimes we feel in our weakness, in our fickle feelings and emotions, we feel that God's mercies have run out. We feel that there are no more that the stream of abundant compassions that once flowed from heaven to us has somehow been cut off, dammed up, ceased. There are times in our lives when we look back and we remember former times when all seemed wonderful, when we felt and experienced and felt blessed by the love of God, when we felt comforted in our afflictions, but now suddenly it feels as though the stream of God's mercy has dried up, as if God has forgotten to be kind when wave after wave of sorrow comes upon us. Night after night of tears running down our cheeks like Jeremiah. And we wonder, has God forgotten to show compassion? Does he have nothing more to give me? Have his compassions run out? Is the fountain dried up? And that's why we need to hear the proclamation of the truth that God's compassions do not fail. They do not run out. They do not cease. And if Jeremiah could confess that, you can confess that, I can confess that. If Job could confess that, we can confess that. And this too is part of what Jeremiah recalled to his mind, verse 21. This I recalled to my mind, what I learned when I was a child. Children, do you see how important it is to learn well your catechism lessons? To memorize well the scriptures that you have to memorize? Because when you grow up, you will need those scriptures. You will need to recall them to your mind, what you heard preached in the church when you were a little child, what you read in the scriptures as a child. When you grow up, you may need to recall it to your mind. You will need to. Jeremiah did. Jeremiah recalled the psalms that he used to sing when he was a boy, like Psalm 103 that we read. As for man, his days are grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And in Psalm 100, 
The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. In Psalm 136, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Jeremiah reminds us, and the Lord reminds us through this scripture, that the fountain of his mercy is an infinite and eternal fountain that has no bottom. It is an unfailing stream. It never comes to an end. What does that mean? Don't you see what that means? It means that there is not a creature in the universe who is able to stop that stream of flowing mercies from heaven. The devil cannot do it. He tries. He rages. He battles. He tries to stop up the heavens. He tries to stop up your heart so that you cannot and you do not receive those mercies and compassions of God. Oh, does he try with every tactic and wile that he can think of that we will not experience these things for he's not able to do it. The world is not able to do it. That great, powerful, wicked world that pressures and oppresses us and tries to make us afraid is not able to stop the flowing of God's mercies and compassions to his people. And it means, above all, that God himself will never stop pouring forth from heaven his mercies and compassions upon us. He won't. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never stop showering you with his love and mercy and grace. He has made an everlasting decree of election to choose us who are his people. And he will never go back on that decree. He will never change that decree. As he writes in Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because I change not. I do not change from my everlasting decree. He makes promises to us, his elect people. He says, I promise to be your God. I promise you will be my people. I promise to dwell with you, and I promise to care for you, and to protect you, and to provide for you. And God never breaks his promises. God establishes an everlasting covenant of grace with us. He establishes an intimate relationship of fellowship and friendship with us and says, I'm your father and you're my children. And he will never sever that relationship. He's a faithful God and a faithful father. He may chasten us as a good father. He may be angry with us at times. He may even send us into captivity in Babylon if that becomes necessary as the only remedy to correct us to chasten and restore us. He will do that because he loves us. We may feel his anger at times, but that does not mean that his compassions have failed. Indeed, it is precisely through those chastenings that he shows his love as he humbles us and draws us sweetly and powerfully back to himself. And that's why Jeremiah is able to say, Great is thy faithfulness. Notice how beautiful is that confession. Great is thy faithfulness. Such a precious confession that the church has written a hymn that probably all of us know based on this text with that title, Great is thy faithfulness. Notice how extraordinary that is, that confession. Because it is one thing to affirm the faithfulness of God. It is one thing to write it down as a doctrine in your book of dogmatics, in your theological magazine or journal. 
It is one thing to recite it in the catechism class, to recite God is faithful as a truth. That's beautiful and that's wonderful. It's even more wonderful and more beautiful when that confession arises out of a believing heart so that you say it because you believe it. And you say it even in the midst of the deepest and bitterest woes like Jeremiah. God is faithful. That's beautiful. But Jeremiah takes it a step further. And we must as well. Because he does not merely affirm and confess that doctrine. But he lifts up his face toward heaven. And he wants to address God face to face as it were. As he sits there amidst the smoking rubble of Jerusalem, he lifts up his head and his face to heaven where God sits at the throne. And he says to the Lord, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Say, that's marvelous. That's amazing. That the child of God, in the midst of the deepest woes, is able to say to God, Faithfulness is great, great, the greatest. There's no greater faithfulness. There is not a man, not an angel, not a creature in the universe who is more faithful than thee, O God, my Father. Even in my deepest sorrows, this I have come to know and to confess. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Psalm 36, verse 5. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. Psalm 89, 1 and 2. These unfailing mercies of God are new every morning, aren't they? That's part of the blessed confession of the sorrowful poet in the text and of you and me. These mercies are new every single morning. And how marvelous is that as well when we consider who is saying this, Jeremiah often known as the weeping prophet because his ministry was so full of sorrow and suffering. And it seemed as if every morning when Jeremiah woke up, there were new sorrows, new sufferings, new reasons for lamentation. Morning by morning, New sorrows I see. That should have been the song of Jeremiah. But instead, morning by morning, new mercies I see. New mercies. Every morning. New, brand new, fresh. New and peculiarly designed and prepared by God for me in this day as exactly what I need in this day. Not just a new loaf of bread and a new jug of milk on the table. Not just a new bottle of wine to make glad the heart of man. Not just new steps to take and new opportunities and experiences are given to us day by day and morning by morning, although that is true too and also a reason for thankfulness. Not just new physical gifts of God's providence, but new mercies of his grace. Morning by morning, every single morning, new ones, new ones to preserve us, new ones to heal us, new ones to comfort us, to guide us on our path, to show us the way, to increase us in wisdom, 
given to us through the preaching on the Lord's Day, through scripture reading and meditation throughout the week, through prayer, continuously bestowed upon us, new each morning. And that's why we can go to bed each night with bright hope for tomorrow. Knowing that, as our Lord Jesus teaches us, we need not take thought for tomorrow. We need not worry about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And knowing that tomorrow there will be new mercies for me. We can go to bed at night as the sun sets and the darkness covers us and we lay down our heads on our pillows. We can go to bed and sleep sweetly because we know that we will rise up the next day and God will have new mercies for us. And who knows what those mercies will bring? Who knows what comfort or encouragement God has for us tomorrow? Who knows what development and advancement in the Christian life God is going to do, what doors he's going to open for us so that we may grow in godliness and faith and hope and love. Who knows what opportunities to serve in the church and in the home. New mercies. Every day. Great is his faithfulness. God will give us those new mercies every day until our last day on this earth. And then the great mercy of delivering us from this valley of tears and bringing us into our inheritance in heaven. That will be the great mercy and compassion of God to give us eternal life and to see Jesus, our Savior. So may these unfailing mercies of Jehovah comfort and cheer you in your way this week. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for those mercies and compassions of which we are not worthy. We confess our sinfulness like other men, and we confess thy faithfulness and goodness, that thou in thy inscrutable plan hast chosen us to be thy children and blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. May the knowledge of thy unfailing mercy and compassion be a source of encouragement to us in this week and strength for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.